we're on. So hi everyone and welcome to the six part growth series and I have on the growth strategist himself Simon Haig and I'm really excited to have you on because we've been talking a lot around values and alignment and we the fantastic Cortez Legentier with the lines and then we had Dr Susie Mitchell we talked a lot about values and beliefs and I'm really happy to have you on today but in case anyone doesn't know who the amazing Simon Haig is can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm not sure I'm amazing, but I try my hardest. But it's it's great to be here, Louise. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm referred to as the growth strategist. And I guess what I do is I do two things, try to do two things at the same time. I try and help organizations grow by achieving their purpose. And at the same time, help leaders and entrepreneurs to grow by achieving their potential. So purpose and potential. And uh, I do that through various training, coaching, mentoring, uh, consulting work so and it's it, it gets me to meet some amazing companies leaders organizations and have some great chats including with you so I'm looking forward to this one <laughs> yeah so I suppose we're, we're talking with coaches specifically I suppose over the last two episodes and your journey as a coach I suppose because I think a lot of people listen to this a lot of leaders a lot of managers they're trying to get their head around this coaching thing and, and how to apply that in the workplace because we have a lot of the theory there but I suppose on your own kind of journey into coaching and I suppose the transition you made you were obviously in the corporate world and you were leading teams I suppose what's your thoughts on how you find found your purpose in that domain of coaching as as a leader I suppose and how has that kind of changed well it's 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 been a journey and I kind of stumbled into my my last paid job was uh nine years now I ended up becoming a CEO for an American company in Australia and I took a payoff um and I decided well what what can I do what are my skill sets and I realized that I you know what I love doing is getting deals done it's it's helping uh, leaders find a, a better version of them it's it's helping organizations grow uh, and so I thought why don't I give this a go and initially in Australia I started the business in Australia I was really doing more consulting work uh, so the traditional sort of strategy and business development type stuff and then I moved back to Australia nearly six years ago now and uh, I started doing some training with the likes of Trinity and Queen's Belfast and then Really, the start of coaching, even though I was a qualified Marshall Goldsmith coach, I qualified back in 2016, I wasn't really doing coaching. It was more consulting and training. And then the, the change of direction was through ISME, you know, and you know ISME well. And I started doing some one on one coaching with business leaders. Uh, and that was four years ago. And it's kind of taken off. And I think the word of mouth has got out. And I guess for me, what I try, I guess if you were to say the reason I'm becoming successful at it is that, A, I know what it's like to run a small business. I know what it's like to be a senior executive in a large company and to run a small business. Um, and at the end of the day, there's some core fundamentals. And, you know, if you're a busy leader or, or an entrepreneur, you don't want academics. You don't want theories. You need to know how to go from A to B. And so I guess that's that's my background. A, you know, I've been a lawyer. B, I've been a CEO. I've also been an entrepreneur. I've run my own watch company. I've invested in businesses. So I know at the end of the day, you're really, really busy. You're short of time and you want somebody you can trust. That's the most important thing. If you can't trust your coach, then they're not a coach, you know, and and the second thing is what I've learned about myself over the last three or four years is that while I don't ever profess to get into the space of counseling or psychotherapy or any of that, I'm not qualified. 
what I bring is my own experiences in life. Some of the some of the dramas that I've had, some of the reasons to be a little bit more authentic than maybe people would expect when you see my LinkedIn. You know, I am vulnerable. I've had real difficult times, uh, but I've also noticed I've got a huge amount of resilience. And and so I can bring that to bear. And what I really do is help is when I coach, I'm looking to do three things. I've got a session this afternoon with another client out in City West. I'm looking to help build the drive, the ambition, the grit, the resilience of the person I work with. And I can demonstrate some ways to do that. And the second thing is help them with their strategic thinking. What are the sort of things that they should be focusing on, which are really revenue, risk and reputation and everything else is secondary. And then thirdly, and most importantly, what are the right opportunities to chase? Because so many people spend so much time chasing the wrong opportunities. So and that's all just come through experience and the school of hard knocks, a bit of my own theory um, and life and I love it. You know, it's great to see somebody have that aha moment, realize, oh, it's not so difficult. If I work on this, I can improve incrementally. So that's a little bit of the journey. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I think listening to you there, um, habits come through, obviously, and recognizing those things. And I want to ask you a question because it played a role in, I suppose, my journey. What? How important do you think it is, I suppose, for leaders to reflect to use reflective practice as part of their growth journey. Do you think it's important? I think it's hugely important. I think, um, you know, Marshall Goldsmith has this quote, and I, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but he says something like, to be successful as a leader, you have to, to do a number of things, but really he focuses on, you have to rely on collaborations and be facilitators rather than experts. And that takes reflection, right? To to move away from the old school of ego-driven thumping the table, win at all costs kind of success to if I take this more gently and softly and be the real version of me, the aligned version of me that Hortense talks about, mm. even though it might feel counterintuitive, it might feel that I'm getting soft and it's actually the, the only way to be successful. You know, to be I'm, I'm about to do a, a podcast with an amazing guy in the States and the name of it is something like why being yourself is the true way to be successful. And so many people fight against that. So many people think they need to put on a face, that they need to have this corporate image. And that actually pushes people away. But it takes reflection. It takes a lot of reflection. It took me a lot of reflection to figure this stuff out, you know. And, well, I'm always going to figure it out. So, yeah, it's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. I don't see a lot of that in any programs, in any training, in any sort of, any companies I've worked with, Simon, I don't. I see it a lot when we're doing individual, but I always wondered yeah. why they don't introduce these kind of tools or these supports. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is, I suppose? I think there's a bit of fear in companies. I think um, I think there still is a fear of that vulnerability. And, 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 and I think there is almost kind of an arrogance that this is, this is stuff for those coaching people, you know, we're the big corporate and we can get through. But, 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 I'm, but, but I think some of them are starting to open up. I'm doing some work now with PayPal, one of my clients, and, and, and they, they've, they've, they've genuinely asked for a more, um, a deeper thinking, as you say, reflective way of, yeah. of coaching and training. And, and so, and I, I often talk about what, what I talk about is 21st century leadership. And I bring it back to the fact that, Yes, you need to grow, right? Growth is 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 the key because otherwise you're going to go backwards. But when you think about it, to grow, you need to 
differentiate. You need to be different. And to be different, you need to innovate. To innovate, you need diversity. And then diversity, to have diversity, you need to have an inclusive mindset and inclusive behaviors. And that's not just inclusive towards other people. That's inclusive towards yourself. That's being compassionate. That's being courageous. Uh, and that often means saying no, but, but, but it means to be more open-minded and a bit more aware of opportunities. And so I do think some smart companies are started, but you're right. So many companies are still locked into this almost fear-based mindset. It's, it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it was really interesting because I'm just going to share with you, I was doing a little bit of research for a workshop. I'm doing a leadership workshop and I was reading something I came across in Brené Brown that really stood out to me. And it stood out to me because I could relate to it personally on my own leadership journey and also with other people. And what she talks about is when we talk about vulnerability and we we don't really talk about shame. And I think shame plays such a big part. And when I really delved into it, it was the shame of being a perfect leader and nearly having all the answers when you actually yeah. don't and yeah. actually go into that team of 20, 30, 40 people and being really vulnerable and going, I actually don't have the answer and, you know, and, and showing that to them. And I just thought that kind of level is of transparency. I don't really see. And I didn't see how wrapped up in shame that it could be that, you know, is it going to make me look like I'm not good enough in the job I'm in? Um, how are people going to view me? Um, how am I going to get the promotion or how am I going to get this? Um, you know, and I'm just wondering, when will this be a norm? Because I, I, I do you know, and, and it really got me thinking about places I've worked. And I was thinking, how could I, if I was to go back in the time machine, Simon, or if I was to go back working in those organizations again, and, and for people listening, because I love to put kind of, I know, theory into practice, how could you even start doing that, you know, if in those companies or does it have to really start from the bottom or from the very top at a boardroom or does it, can it start at middle or lower level? It, it depends on the organization. Um, yeah. but, but I think overall, if you don't have the senior exec, if you don't have the right open minded, willing, honest senior executives in an organization, I don't think you're going to break the model. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have worked. I worked when I was an employee, uh, a, a lawyer. I did work for an American company and the CEO there, an amazing guy called Wimra Lance. Uh, this was 20 years ago in, in California. And he had that awareness that that it was about um, being trust, a trust-based leader, right? And a, a non-arrogant trust-based leader. Uh, and so he would do simple things like he wouldn't have his own office. He would rotate his office around the campus because his view was, why should I lord it over everybody else? I'm just the CEO. I'm not the CEO. I'm just the CEO. It's just a title. I'm one of a number of employees. And so uh, there's no easy answer to this. I think you just need to have more open-minded and aware leaders. And I guess one of the things is that, you know, one of the challenges is that you and I and smart and open-minded, you know, coaches and consultants, like the people you've interviewed, we all know that there is a change needed, you know, moving from traditional leadership to agile leadership, because organizations need to adapt and they need to be more reflective and they need to be more sensitive and they need to, adapt to the market and the market is much more sensitive particularly since the pandemic people you know we hear about the great resignation we hear about people being much more open-minded and aware about what they want in life and and so things like some some of the better leaders i've come across view leadership as instead of doing ensuring that teams do the do things right 
they they have this mindset that they their role is to make sure the teams do the right things right Mm -hmm. and that's giving them the tools that's that's trusting them to do it that's what i call contextual leadership that's you know this is what we need you to do go and do it right go and do it and if you make a mistake as long as you own up to it as long as it's not a fundamental error that's part of the process but that takes a lot of courage right and and i think to answer your question in a long-winded way, there just isn't enough, there hasn't been enough courage, real courage with leadership, right? And um, and I think that's I think that's really important. And operating in that trust, contextual leadership, innovation environment. I don't know what's going to flip it, but I think the more companies, the more leaders we see, I think more people will come on board. And people like Brenny Brown, the work she does, and, and other inspirers, that can only permeate through. It can only do, can only do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, something because we're talking about leadership and culture always comes up and I think it's a talking point at the moment, especially with a lot of people resigning and we're seeing how can we retain people and how can we create something where people actually want to stay and not get up and leave. I suppose places I've worked in comparisons to places that I probably never want to work in again um, always gave me a sense of I belonged there. I felt like I was part of something, not part of the payroll system, not a number, yeah. but I felt like I was part of something that meant something. Um, and and I always thought that that was really important. And I would always see other people that would come in to the organization. What's their motivations? What Why are they wanting to be in there? You know, why do you come to, why do you want to work here as opposed to somewhere down the road? And they yeah. would tell me that, that what that is and I would always look to tap into that because I think that's really important because that will make them either stay or go and belonging I think is something and and I think I don't know is it because it's very much an emotional world but it's something I don't really hear a lot of people say and in the workplace okay Um, and it's something that I was thinking about and does it have a place you know how how do we kind of I suppose proposition this to, to people that maybe are going you know what don't really want to hear that Louise you know yeah. I've got better things to do in, in my day I suppose what's it's your take fu- on that it's funny you should mention you're the second person who's mentioned to me belonging in the last week um, and somebody's asked me would I maybe help out on a program around belonging and for me again it all comes back to this inclusive leadership thing and i'll explain so i've done quite a lot of work in this space and you're right i mean the 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 largest reason for people leaving organizations is they feel like they're not they're they're not included they're not being recognized they're not they don't really feel part of it right it's not money and it's not pension and all these things it's that feeling of i'm i'm there but i'm not really there which is a lack of feeling of belonging and there are five key areas that have that have come out of a number of surveys that I've kind of brought together that if leaders really wanted to shortcut this and, and demonstrate, at least demonstrate that they're looking at belonging in the right way, they would have a head start. And the first one is, uh, I've mentioned inclusion and recognition, right? Employees want to feel included. They want to experience a sense of we're in this together and we're going to do our best to, to move forward. Of course, there are some people who aren't, right? But generally speaking, most employees want to feel uh, included and they're looking to have a voice within an organization, right? The second thing then is trust and autonomy. Employees want to feel trusted. They want their leaders and organizations to trust them to do the jo- job. Uh, and this goes hand in hand with that feeling that, 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 you know, that they are really included. The third thing then is growth and development. Employees are looking for opportunities to grow and develop. Uh, 
and that which is all part of being noticed it's being it's having attention paid to you right without being controlled without micromanagement and then the fourth thing then is vision and the clear expectations they want to have a sense that the management the leadership is cohesive aligned and inclusive in its direction because without that inspiration why would you bother uh, commit right and then the fifth thing then is they need good leadership they're looking for leaders not to control them not to dictate but to f- facilitate and and so there are those five areas and um but it's easy for me to say right <laughs> it's easy to say this sort of stuff when you when you're talking to and one of the things i've noticed when i give training and i ask you know leaders well why isn't this happening within your organization and the answer that comes out most nearly every time is we're too busy and i'm thinking well all the evidence demonstrates that inclusive, aligned, cohesive organizations are more productive. They have better brand value. They better have, have better employer branding and potentially more uh, profitable. So that's just a bit of a short excuse, you know. Uh, but I think making the leap from today to tomorrow and believing that you check, can change and improve, that's where the gap is. And I think it just needs people like us and Susie and Hortense and Brené and all these people who see this and know this because we work in organizations to keep saying it, you know, to keep saying it. Uh, but again, there's no, sh- if there were a shortcut answer, there wouldn't be any coaches and consultants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's just really interesting because I think it, it comes back and, and I don't know what your thoughts is. It comes back really. I think a lot of, a lot of it is the individual, um, and sometimes we look at it as the collective and um, you know we we use these words and we look at it okay let's all have a great culture but it's not really that's not really because once we go and we do that we're pushing that then exactly far away we're not exactly. bringing it internalizing that and bringing it towards us that's a good point we 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 all have a responsibility ourselves mm. to contribute yeah. you know and uh uh the other thing then is leadership i mean leadership isn't easy right it's really really difficult good leadership is really difficult dave ulrich the father of modern hr talks about the dna of today's leaders and it's really it, it it it's very complicated and on the one hand a good leader needs to be a developer of human capital you know their job is to build the brand and create psychological safety and trust a good leader right and at the same time they have to be a strategist they have to harness information and uncertainty and try and figure a way forward. They have to be personally proficient. They have to be a talent manager um, and, and almost kind of a mentor and a, and a coach. Uh, and then the lastly, they have to be an executor. They have to actually ex- execute. And, and, and I think it's funny because I'm doing a, a speech in Milan in October about 21st century leadership and 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 I think we're all leaders, right? We should yeah. all think of ourselves as leaders yeah. and don't rely on that big person in the top yeah. office. And I think we're starting to see this in politics. We're starting to see that these politicians actually don't really know as much as maybe we had attributed to them. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think the same in corporates. If you keep waiting for the big leader to make the decisions and to make life great and inclusive and, and a sense of belonging for you, you might be waiting forever. So I do think we've all got a responsibility. That's easier said than done again, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do think it's, I, I, and I totally agree with that. And I, and I, 
because I was reading some, I I read an article and it and it said and, and a couple of ones and and I I I kind of I see it from a different angle I suppose, but a lot of them were saying you know it, it's up to this one person to change that culture, but I don't see at, from a ground level um and a day to day and those people at a lower levels of the organization and they are the culture because they're the people that are facing your customers so if i was to give retail as an example you've the people in head office they might be in a different country which was the case in a lot of places i worked but we were that we were that facing environment we were that culture so if you went to a shop in galway or dublin or london or milan that you're you're going and doing your talking it would be different in each of those sites. So there could be four or 500 stores, but they're different. And I think it's it's the people in there. Yeah. It is not the product on the shelf. It yeah. is not the objects. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the people, I think. It's it's the living organisms that actually create that culture. So I do think that it's created by each. Because if we look at the flip side, I think, if we look at when the culture goes down, we've brought someone into the organization that isn't fitting well with the, with the values and the way we run the business. We yeah. can see that flip, Simon, quite quickly. You know, yeah. if we bring someone in that doesn't fit in. So the power it's of that... Tr- it's interesting you say this, and I don't mind giving this as an example because it's a good example, yeah. but I had to do training recently through our mutual friend, Charlie Boyle, uh, up in Donegal with Mackel with Hennes, the department store there in Buddy Buffet. Yeah. And I didn't really know too much about it, other than it's the biggest department store outside Dublin. And my job was to go and do DEI training. This was a, about a, six weeks ago. And my, my, so I knew nothing really about the culture other than I'd heard good things but my reactions were based purely on human interactions. So the first thing is I arrived that morning. I didn't really know where I was meant to go. And I walked into the front of this department store and I thought, where do I go? Like, I can't see a manager's office. And just by accident, somebody was walking out, a young guy with a pad, right? And I thought, I wonder if he's going to the training, right? And before I could even say anything to him, he noticed me and said, can I help you? And he was so friendly, so smile on his face and we ended up and he was going to the training so he took me over and that was my first reaction and then when we got into the room nobody could figure out how to use the projector and one of the audience was really nice and came and actually set the thing thing up and all through the day right it was me giving the facilitation and yet they were actually facilitating my understanding of their culture which was which was helpful accommodating open-minded willing all of those positive things and I think they actually I kind of reflected that back at the end of the day and they realized they did have an inclusive culture. Right. <laughs> they actually yeah. had it. They just needed it shone back at them. So yeah. it's it's what all the humans put together that creates the culture. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As you said. Yeah. And I think a couple of years ago, um, because I think it's, it's become a big talking point now. But if you were to say to me 10 years ago, you know, culture and all this different thing, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known what you were talking about at all, Simon, right? Because I wasn't really in that. I didn't really understand a lot of that 10 years ago. But um, yeah, I'm just looking back now on how it's changed, I suppose, the expectation of, of who's coming into the workplace now and the Gen Zers and all of that. And I look at yeah. my son who started his first job there two weeks ago and his expectation of working versus my expectation of working is yes. so different, Simon. Yeah. Um, and I said, what's your thoughts on that? What's your thoughts on, on those kind of those, those, those changes that are happening? I think it can only be a good thing. I mean, yeah. it's funny when I started working back in the eighties, I mean, being bullied was quite common. And I remember, I won't mention the company, but I had tonsillitis 25 years ago. And I was told by a boss, 
and I was in really bad shape, right? I felt really bad. And I remember being told by a boss to get out of bed and keep working, you know. And uh, and today, because I was young and scared, right, and fearful, I did, right? But today, I wouldn't stand for that. I would say, with respect, I'm not well. I'll, I'll do it when, I, when I'm better. And uh, so I do think that there is, whereas flip forward today, you know, I'm doing a lot of training around DEI right now. And even with some government type bodies and 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 state bodies that I wouldn't expect to be as open minded as they are. And they are openly talking about, you know, not just gender, but but but, you know, the whole um, LGBTQI space and the fact that in the audience there are people, you know, the attendees, there are people across all spectrums of life. Right. And mm-hmm. and and I wouldn't have expected that open community conversation and it's a wonderful thing because every human being is different every human being is entitled to be different nobody should be judged for who they are or what they are and and yet this is so far away from even 20 years ago you know and um, things like neurodiversity and uh, all of this stuff and cohesiveness and alignment and and inclusion it's just it, it can only be a good thing because i said before you only grow if you innovate and you only innovate if you differentiate if we were all just the same clones you wouldn't go anywhere now there are barriers to this stuff i do think i'm hearing there's some pushback now that you know you're hearing oh well there are too many jobs created in diversity equity inclusion and we're we're we're, keep, we're, we're diverting from true strategy i do think that there needs to be diversity equity inclusion is a core part of strategy i don't think it should be created as a separate part of the business you know it's an underpinning of strategic direction and so i think there are some challenges uh, but i think overall it's a wonderful thing and you know the six drivers of inclusive decision making relationship building recognition empathy as i said before trust building trust um ensuring alignment as much as you can and as we've said encouraging participation it's just noticing people noticing people in 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 the olden days i don't think employees thought remotely about the importance of noticing it was about getting what you could out of people yeah 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 and it is and it is really nice to see what i see anyways with my son going in they're a lot more braver than i would have been i didn't really have a voice you know i I agree i agree and I love that that bravery and the fact that they're so that they're comfortable enough to actually say I don't want to and I think we need that we need those those kind of those conversations happening we need that kind of you know that back and forth instead of that one voice you do this and and the the nodding of the head and you'd go off and you'd do whatever you're told you know and you you didn't have a voice I think for a while so I think it's really nice to see that shift happen absolutely Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just the way we think about communication. I mean, uh, Erica Darwin, um, who is a leading expert in the future of business and how you integrate technology. She's even she talks about hopefully I can remember now this. She talks about the four key aspects of integrative, innovative, inclusive organizations. And the first one is value visibly. Right. Do I respect my each person's time in my team? And do I acknowledge and celebrate? And do I do I try and help others feel comfortable? Second one then is communicate carefully. Is be careful about how you what you say and how you say it. Third one then is collaborate confidently. Um, am I clear about which communication channels I'm using? Do I use the right language? And the last one is trust totally. Right. Once you've done those first three, value visibly, 
communicate carefully, collaborate confidently. It's easier to trust. Now, of course, there are always outliers, but but I just think that's wonderful, that kind of language. We never talked like that 20 no. years ago, you know? No. And I, I, some some cynics out there might say, well, this is a lot of this is a lot of fluff and business is really about is about revenue, right? But it's not. I keep saying that triangle, revenue, risk, and reputation. And if you keep chasing headlong for revenue, at the risk of damaging risk or reputation, you're going to collapse. And I saw this in Australia. A billion-dollar engineering company went bankrupt very quickly because it didn't have in place the right structures to manage risk and reputation. So um, you have to have that triangle balance. And I think this plays into the language today, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it goes back to, I think you were talking a little bit, and you do a lot of work around brands and trusting. And I I always think that we sometimes and there was there was a post I seen there was a little bit of a discussion I, I heard of you know logos and the importance of a logo and all of this and and there was someone that made a really valid point and I actually really liked it was that we didn't actually we don't follow that brand we don't recognize you know Nike or Apple because it's a tick or because it's an Apple bit and sign it's it's the reputation built around that and that's Absolutely. true relationships that's that relationship it built with people and I think when we go into this language of you know again it's putting things abstract you know and this can happen sometimes if if there's a lot of talk on certain things I find that we can go okay this is why it's there but it's not if we actually go really down to the root cause of it it's actually those relationships that we built um around that and actually leads me really nicely into the next question and this is something that used to be a big bugbear of me um and and I've seen a couple of places that done it really well and I'll give examples on that and some places that didn't um a lot of people are kind of talking around organizational values and a lot of them I find are aspirations okay and it's what they aspire to be and they have them in the back of house and they have them on the wall and you'll see them every time there's a marketing um or a product launch or whatever that is they'll talk about the brand values but then they go and they put them back in the little box (laughs) and they're pushed in that cupboard and um they're not you know they're not really taught, measured, evaluated, any of that sort of thing. And then I look on the flip side and I see other places that have done it really well. What's your kind of take on that, I suppose? Because I'm hearing a lot of people talking about organization values. And do you see that where people are, they're more aspirations than what they're actually doing in the business? I, I do. I, mm. I do quite regularly, particularly in consulting. And yeah. I won't mention any companies, but they 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 think some some organizations think that by bringing in a change agent or a consultant to go through a process to shine a light on where they're at is enough and then they put that file that in a box and they say they've done the job and for me uh, for me there's too much talk about values and vision statements and all this sort of stuff for me it all goes back to the top which is what's the purpose of your organization what what, why, why are you in business? What's your purpose? And I think not enough companies are thinking about their purpose, right? And, uh, and because if you don't think about your purpose, how can you really truly hang the right values that fit that purpose? You know, so for example, a good, a good, a good example of that is Smurf at Kappa, right? They're a, they're a cardboard box manufacturing company, one of the world's biggest ones, a great Irish success, Okay. But they've been going through a whole process recently about is that our purpose and should that be our purpose or should we? And this is a genuine attempt to look at this. This is not a cynical uh, attempt. Or should we be thinking, well, are we bigger than that? Are we 
Are we braver than that? Are we more of a logistics company? Um, and, uh, and, and are we, you know, assisting the flow of, of products around the world in a, in a greener way, right? And there, there's arguments to and fro as to whether they really are or not, but, but at least they're really thinking about it, right? Because by thinking about your purpose, it's easier then to, to have a true conversation about your values, right? If, if, you're just, if you just put v- values on a vision statement or, or a mission on the wall, you can come up with any words. You can Google the top 10 nice words to describe a company. I'm sure lots of companies do this, right? Yeah. And so, um, and when you think about leadership in this, this whole thing, le- the whole point of leadership is to create a bridge to the future. That's what leadership is. It's creating a bridge to the future while at the same time keeping things steady today and, 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 and telling the truth as much as you can out there. And again, you, you can only provide a bridge to the future if you know what you're doing, your purpose. And so I think it really starts from that. And I think organizations really have to need to have a good look at what they're doing, why they're doing it, rather than what they're saying about themselves, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I think, I think, and what you're touching on, like a lot of places, I think it's nearly a tick the box exercise. It sometimes. is, it is. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it. I've seen it in many yeah. places. I remember... I'm careful how I put this, but it's okay because there's been a big improvement. But when I was working for Dell 21 years ago, I was their legal counsel here in UK Ireland, and they went through a huge process of putting together this the soul of Dell culture, right? And yet, you know, when it was dropped on employees, employees thought, well, what, what is this? This has come from Mars. You know, this was like one of these academic things created by senior yeah. executive team. And it completely misfired because people didn't have that sense of inclusive ownership. Right. It was like, yeah. OK, so somebody just told me what, what, I'm, what, what we are, you know, rather than us feeling it, being part of that process, feeling it, you know, and um so they've changed since and they've gone through the opposite process. They've, they've got as much feedback and input and they've been as you know, courageous about this as possible. But And no coincidence, their productivity and profitability has gone up again. So, But it, it's just easier, I think, for companies to take the lazy route. That's the problem. It's easier, you know, but it backfires yeah. eventually. Yeah, it's really interesting because I worked for a brand a couple of years ago um, and we had we obviously had inductions and we had a staff handbook and that was the only place where I seen the values and then fast forward we had an area meeting and then the values came up in a marketing slide that's all I've seen from it and I'm going to jump into a retailer that really does the values really well and that's Woody's DIY and their CEO Declan Iran and they really do bring brand values to life and I can say that because I worked for them but how they actually done that was they actually talked about it in a behavioral piece. So every morning, every morning in that store, we would have a whiteboard, Simon, and we would have all of the values, all of the values up. And we would celebrate if we seen one of the team living those values. And we would go, do you know what I seen you yesterday, Simon? You yeah. brought out, um, yeah. you know, the, the plant, um, the moss, to the, you know, those big moss bags yeah, to yeah. the lady's car. You had a really nice chat. You know, you're really, and one of the values I think was homely and real. You know, you're really homely with them. You're really authentic and you're your real self. And we would all celebrate, you know, and we would yeah. go, well done. But yeah. we were actually pinpointing what that looks like. And I Absolutely. Think that's 
what a lot of places don't do and it was done every day so you couldn't get yeah. away from it you knew what the expectation was yeah was yeah, yeah. Area on it and it was a conversation and what they actually done as well was they had um a software um on an app and what they done was is really clever right they had an app specifically just for woody's staff and if they seen simon doing a really good display i would say hey simon and i take a picture of the display and i go I want to give a kudos, it's called a kudos app to Simon and he had a really amazing display and he's living our value and they would name that value and hashtag it. So they gave the colleagues the, you know, they were allowed to use their phone on the shop floor, right? So that was yeah. a nice thing to do because um, yeah. a lot of businesses don't allow that because they, they trusted them, but they also yeah. got them buying in to not only the managers recognizing that at the morning brief, but they got the team involved all in the business that's from the eight hour contract the 12 hour contract that might be you know on a summer job whatever that is they got them all involved in that so by doing that it fed into really building those values in and I just thought there was so many businesses out there that I would love to see more of those little things being done because it would become a culture by by bringing that to life a little bit more you know you're, you're spot on it's about actually demonstrating Yes. What what you're doing rather than just talking about it. And it's it, it's part of that building trust. It's building trust, right? Trust doesn't just exist, right? You, when you move it, when you go into an organization, unless you own the company, right? Yeah. Why would why would you trust it unless you've actually seen tangible evidence of effort being made, right? And mm-hmm. and, and it's okay to see leadership and management get it wrong, right? As long as they are aware they've got it wrong and try and improve it and correct it, right? I would rather work for a company that tried on a tried to initiate a, a, a culture program and didn't quite get it and apologized, right? And said, yeah. we're going to try and tweak this, than one that pretended it was okay, right? And we 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 all know, we all feel when we meet somebody or meet an organization and they're just being shallow or reading from a script. We all human beings feel this, right? And trust is such a Trust is such a, I often talk about, try and define what trust is, and it's very hard to write it down. But if I asked you to remember a time when you didn't trust somebody, you'd feel it in your gut feeling. So it's the same applies to companies. You feel it in your gut, right? And trust very, very quickly evaporates, or it doesn't appear if you're in an organization and you can see they're not really, really, really trying to push this and make this real, right? And that's for me the key, you know, it's, 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 I, I'll forgive an organization, as I said, if they make a mistake and they own up to it and say, we're going to try harder next time. And we're going to try and tweak this. M- Michael Dell used to have this term, don't perfume the pig. In other words, if you've got things wrong as a leadership team or as an organization, don't pretend you haven't. Be honest, right? Be honest. Um, as long as you're not giving away state secrets, people would feel more likely to trust you and work for you if they could see that, you know, and but unfortunately, too many leaders are still too scared of this thing called trust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it feeds into what we said there earlier around that whole vulnerability with actually yeah. owning up to when you do make a mistake and yeah. those feelings of, and it, it is, there, there is an underlying feeling of a little bit of shame, you know, that there's, yeah. you didn't, you know, within yourself, I mean, not for anyone else, um, not guilt, but, but you know, that you're not performing to earth you feel weak or whatever that inferior feeling is I think that's where I don't think probably enough work is done but I do think a lot of that is internal work I think it's it's on the individual because you know 
somebody that's maybe that has a lot of empathy or somebody that's maybe more open to somebody that's close that can be a lot harder for them to do so I do think we we need to work on ourselves but it's not just people that have a badge or people that have certain rankings I think it's it's understanding that everyone is 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 working a little bit on themselves and understanding how they're putting themselves out there for an emotional piece because for a long time I was I remember never I remember years ago I was told by a manager you know we, we leave our feelings at the door when we come in here, Louise. You know, we've I remember been on, being, I remember being told, on your game face, your game yeah, face. Yeah. I remember being told, I won't mention the company, but it was a law firm. We don't have time for emotions in here. I mean, yeah. that's mad. That's mad. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that there's a place in Texas, uh, Houston, uh, the Rice University in Houston, Texas, and they have a, a center called the Door D-E-D-O-E-R-R Institute of New Leadership. And they're doing f- amazing work, right? In actually, and I've, I've met some of the people there, and they're actually trying to figure out how you can measure, how you can give a, a roadmap from a leader to, to ensure that they're doing everything they can to be an effective, inclusive, aligned, cohesive leader, right? And, and actually to self-score yourself, right? And they've come up with uh, five key areas, five key areas to help you on this journey. And the first one is knowing yourself. So as you said, it all starts with yourself, right? Yeah. So do you have a sense of your own purpose? I've mentioned the word purpose. Are you self-confident? That doesn't mean egotistical or bragging, but does that mean are you prepared to be courageous? And the third thing then is self-aware. So that's knowing yourself. And then the second area then is controlling yourself. Um, even though you know yourself, you've still got to control. You know, you've, got to have, you've got to have a balance. You've got to, uh, and that's resilience as well. And the third thing then is being aware of others, uh, cross-cultural resourcefulness and ethical responsibility and empathetic engagement. The fourth one then is working with others, you know, Conflict management, team building, collaboration, delegation, all those things. And finally, growing yourself, which is innovative thinking, uh, love of learning, willingness to learn through mistakes. And so there's 21 areas within those five areas. And it's really powerful, I think. And um, I think that that way of looking at leadership rather than just strategy, right, is so powerful. And and I think they're doing amazing work. And I think they're going to be more and more people are going to hear about them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm listening to what you're saying there. And I do see a lot around the innovation and, and, and that side of things, but I don't see enough around the first one you spoke about, which is the yeah. inner one. Um, yeah. I see a lot around the other one because I, I, I believe anyways, a lot of businesses and I've seen it's just in my own space. I've seen that, you know, these fit into what we're doing. So we're going to take, you know, that because we're going to get this output and they, they don't see the inner work as being important, yeah. you know, um, because they, they don't, okay, it's in it, we can put that off. And then it's not until something happens or, you know, someone goes on stress leave or something happens that we're like, oh, we really need to look at this stuff now, yeah. you know, um, that sort of way. But, but it's really, it's really, really important, I think. And I, I, yeah. I think what you said there, that is one of the most important things that I learned in my own leadership journey was the inner work I needed to do to be actually a better leader for other people. And because to coin the the term, your greatest strength can be your greatest weakness. And that happened to me on my own journey because I had, I was giving, giving, giving that I was burnt out myself from doing it and I didn't have boundaries. So that whole self-regulation thing, I wasn't really doing it. And um, for myself, and um, because I was giving that away to other people, 
I suppose before we go, I want you to just tell me, I suppose, if you can think of one or two things that you've learned on your journey. And I've shared a little bit what I learned on mine. Um, and I'm still, I'm in a coaching thing. I'm one-to-one work now. And I have to be always conscientious of boundaries, Simon, because yeah. um, it's something I'm aware of that I can give too much. And then I, yeah. I my family time or something else, because I'm loving what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. I have to be really I have to check myself and sometimes that does go into overdrive but is there anything that you can share with us that you've kind of learned or you're you're on that journey with I I, there's the first thing I would say is and I I often use this these what I'm about to say in coaching and training and I've learned to help protect myself and create my own boundaries but also to demonstrate to others that it's a valuable thing for them is I say to people every morning for six weeks, ask yourself three simple questions, three really simple questions. Even if you find it cringy to do it, even if you think it's ridiculous um, and there's no guarantee you'll, you'll agree with them by the end of the six weeks. But if you ask yourself three questions every morning, the chances are you'll be a little bit more self-aware at the end of the six weeks because self-awareness is the key to everything. Right. And the three questions are, do I like myself? And do I respect myself? And do I trust myself? Ask yourself those three questions every morning for six weeks. And I, I do this. I do this. And I'm actually going through the process now of it sounds a bit over the top, but I have a mentor and I'm going through a process now of honestly, as much as I can, right, as much as I can remember what I'm doing in the day, doing an inventory of major thoughts that I have during the day, you know, negative and positive thoughts. And and, and I'm finding by doing that, and I've got a pad here, right? Here, this is, this is my inventory pad, right? And I do this. And, and, and you might be thinking, why do you need to do this, Simon? I need to do this because I need to notice the way my mind is orientated, the way my mind might wander, a bit like when you see a, a dog owner take a dog for a walk and your, everybody's mind could scarper like this and go to a lamppost. If I don't have a really strong sense of, my triggers, my emotions, behaviors, how can I honestly, how can I honestly say that I'm an effective coach, right? If, if you don't have a sense of you, how can you, even though we can't mind read anybody else, we do need to have a sense of the possibilities of where the mind can go, you know? And so that's one thing. Do I like trust, respect? The other thing, the other thing then is Marshall Goldsmith said to me two and a half years ago, I was banging on about, oh, I'm not getting enough recognition, blah, blah, blah. I was whinging, whinging, whinging. And he just said, you just need to match your confidence with your capability. Go and do it. Just go and do it, yeah. right? And it doesn't matter if anybody pushes back. It doesn't matter if anybody says anything mm-hmm. negative on LinkedIn. You can block them. You can delete it. Or as I have done a couple of times, I'll just go back and say, thank you for your opinion, right? <laughs> it's their opinion. They're entitled to their opinion. So, um, I think so many people have imposter syndrome. They think, well, you know, I'm not entitled to speak up. I'm not in, you know, what if somebody bullies me, right? 99.99% of human beings out there will never bully you or me. They're not interested. Most people are interested in just surviving, right? And so I think it's just waking up and realize the only real constraint you have, the biggest constraint you have rather is you, right? So go for it. Uh, but but really try and sharpen your awareness in the process as well. That's a missed opportunity if you don't go for it and try and sharpen your awareness. Mm. Anyway, that's that's what I would say. Thank you, Simon. That and you're you are so authentic in 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 the way you speak and and how open and honest you are. Um, 
And I, I love that. I love that quality about you that you are so vulnerable in the way you you discuss not only your strengths, but areas that you're working on and challenges you're having, because I yep. think that is someone being really authentic and being vulnerable yep. um, and displaying that. And you do that, you know, really well. Um, I love what you said there and what just popped into my head. And it was something that I came up against was waiting for approval before I actually done something. You yeah, you'd be waiting forever. You'd be waiting yeah, forever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 If you feel if you feel you're entitled to do it, and mm. and and you, know, I, I don't mind. I don't mind people who are arrogant, who can de- who know what they're doing. Right. For mm. want of a better word, who know what they're doing, who are expert, just do it. And and I, and I forgive people who are ignorant because they don't know. What I can't stand is arrogant and ignorant people. Right. And I'm not talking about being arrogant and ignorant. I'm just talking about being true to yourself right being true to yourself and go for it and see what happens and if if it's if it's a if you don't ask it's a guaranteed no if you do ask it's a 50 percent yes so try you know try yeah definitely where can people get you simon where is the best place to reach you if people want to reach out and speak to you Uh, probably right now linkedin because my website is just literally about to be relaunched in the next couple of weeks uh so linkedin i'm I'm very active on linkedin simon haig h-a-i-g-h i I think it's the the growth strategies is up there as well and uh but my website simonhaig.com it's the old website uh but you'll get a flavor and then twitter facebook instagram pretty much most places okay thank you so much simon thank you for your time it's been amazing listening to you lovely thank Thank you thanks bye